I'd like to start this with a quote from Renee Scroggins. The block parties were happening and stuff, and the DJs were playing Moody and UFO, and they didn't even know we made it. Because of the factory label, they thought ESG came from London. They play in it downstairs, and we live in upstairs. Come Away With ESG consists of previously released singles and newer material to make up ESG's first long player. By this time, Moody had been released as a single and also as a 12-inch remix. Both ended up doing well in the clubs. Due to the factory imprint, DJs in the US just assumed ESG were a London-based act. New York City nightclub The Paradise Garage listed the song in its top 50 all-time tracks, as did The Gallery, The Warehouse, The Music Box and The Roxy. It was a significant track within the emerging house music scene and has become an underground dance classic. Come Away With ESG is arguably ESG's best album. Both Kathleen Hanna and Jennifer Harima have cited it as an influence on their work, but you can probably hear shades of ESG in numerous other bands who've echoed their minimalist swagger. It's worth mentioning that as well as hip-hop and house, there was a two-way street of inspiration going on in punk circles too. ESG also came into their own as a live act. As regulars on the happening New York live scene, they were a good choice to appear on the bill with The Clash and Grandmaster Flash. Renee says, That was at Bonds. It was famous because the fire marshals used to come in the whole time and try to shut the place down. The first night we opened the show, the crowd drenched The Clash in beer. It was cool pay, but we didn't want to get drenched because we were just starting and we didn't have money for new instruments. And they left our instruments up there and we were like, save the drums! Thanks to Tony Wilson, ESG also played opening night at the Hacienda in 1982. Renee is adamant that the Factory Records connection was an important milestone. Eight years after their previous record, ESG release ESG the album. ESG is a mix of old and new material. Moody and UFO pop up again, so you could call it a cash-in. But in order for it to be that, they would have needed paying properly in the first place. In 1986, just as ESG were on the cusp of mainstream success, 99 records folded, which meant the band had no label and no manager. 99 records went bust after they tried to sue Sugar Hill Records for using a sample by Liquid Liquid, only to be left with the court costs when Sugar Hill went bankrupt. Here's Renee. Ed Bauman was our first manager, and hey, I love Ed. Ed was great, but he was also running the 99 label. And what happened was, the White Lines case with Liquid Liquid's Cavern, Sugar Hill Records put out White Lines sampling Liquid Liquid without permission. And after that, Ed just became so disenchanted with the business. He went and did the whole case, and he won. And then Sugar Hill went into bankruptcy, so he lost all that money. And it was horrible. He also used all the artist's money on the label. Ed and I, we'd kept in touch for a long while after, when many other artists didn't know where he was. Ed lives in Brooklyn now, and you can't even get him to talk about those years. You could ask him anything, but don't ask him anything to do with 99. ESG are not fans of sampling, justifiably so. But perhaps it's not sampling that's the problem. If you sample another artist and find success, as long as there is a fair distribution of funds, as well as crediting and recognition, then everyone should be happy. What happened to ESG was that they didn't get paid, often weren't credited, 
and were working their day jobs and raising children while their music was being appropriated all over the place and they watched others get rich off the back of it. I'm still saying to myself, don't these guys realise that women wrote this music and yet you're calling every woman a bitch and a whore and treating them like garbage and they're using my music to write their beats? That's what I don't like because I do not support what they're saying. We don't find out about it until after the fact and then they want to fight you about your music and it's like, okay, you've already insulted me once and now you're insulting me again. I don't appreciate it. It even got to the point where people would talk to them after gigs and ask about the cover versions they just performed, not knowing they were the originators. A bit like saying to Stevie Wonder how much you like his cover of that Coolio song. When Renee was asked if she thinks things would have been different if ESG had been, say, white guys, she says, of course, of course, we've had to fight sexism. We've had to fight in some situations, racism. That has a lot to do with the clubs and the level of respect they gave you because you were a woman, because you were black. ESG's forte for making these bare bones, extended, funky breaks was also their weakness. It made them extremely easy to sample, even down to the format of 12-inch records that in the early days could be looped to allow MCs to throw down over. The solid foundation they created allowed others to create on top of it. This album's mix of old and new is slightly jarring. Despite this, there are still good tracks on this album, originally released in 1991 on small independent powwow records. It was also re-released on Fire Records in 2011. The guitar takes a more prominent role, with varying degrees of success, and there is a branching out of sorts. Personally, I feel there's more chaff than wheat on this one. Once again, I'll leave it up to the listener to decide which is which. <laughs>